Whether it's digital or analog design that keeps you busy, today it's all about the experience. This is Experience by Design, a podcast exploring the latest trends and solutions helping create the most intriguing experiences you can imagine and the ones you can't. Hosted by Brian Mazaros. Welcome to another episode of the Experience by Design podcast. I'm your host, Brian Mazaros, and today we welcome VJ Matthews, principal of W&Co. W&Co is a New York-based design and development studio whose work focuses on digital integration within the built environment. W&Co provides strategy, interface design, development, and innovation for digital platforms for a wide range of clients. It's a pleasure to welcome really good friend, VJ. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Brian. Really glad to be here. Awesome to uh, to have you. I, I think I'm going to try something a little different. You know, I, I know I'm springing this on you, but I, I thought, you know, we have to, uh, I think we have to, to visually set up our audience and how our conversations usually take place. Because I, I think this, there's a, there's an experience here. So typically when you and I chat, we are, we are at a brewery <laughs> and uh, I feel like this is the, <laughs> this is our, this is our round table and uh, we have a, a very good pint of uh, delicious IPA that is in front of us and we often have these these debates. So I just I wanted to put that out there for the audience to really understand this this kind of conversation, the civil conversation that uh, that we have. So now with that's aside, um so how's it going? <laughs> how how are, how, are, how are you? What have uh, if, if you let everyone know what have you been up to and 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 what are you guys been focusing on? Um, well, yeah, yeah, Brian, uh, again, really glad to be here. Um, and just to kind of like expand upon, you know, that great introduction you had, I was, I was reminded that, uh, we're, we were founded in 2011 and we're about to hit our 10 year anniversary. And what's interesting is, yeah, yeah. Um, when we first started, you know, we started dabbling in 2008, uh, basically at the birth of the smartphone marketplace, uh, app marketplace. So we were actually originally a mobile design and development studio, really heavily focused on building, uh, native applications for iOS uh, that really kind of delved into this idea of how do you create hyper-local experiences that can be kind of experienced through your mobile phone. Um, and so what's kind of interesting, you know, these past few months uh, living the way we've been living um, is the resurgence of these, you know, smartphone experiences that can help unlock a lot of these environmental kind of engagements. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see, you know, this resurgence, this new popularity of, of what you can do to engage with your audience, uh, even though you can't typically kind of engage with them as you once once did. So, so now that you're coming in, this is interesting. So now that you're coming up on 10 years, you know, I mean, what, I mean, how do you find sort of this, this change? Because it's, it's ever evolving landscape and, you know, trends are varying new technologies, you know, what do you do with, with the team to stay ahead of that? I mean, is, is there a lot of experimentation? Is there, a lot of R&D, like what, what is sort of that, that process or what you go through that is, you know, kind of kept you in the mix of, of, of everything changing over 10 years? Yeah, I mean, uh, R&D is definitely a, a, a large component of it. Um, and that's really more to be familiar with, with new technology, what's going on, especially when it comes to voice, when it comes to VR, when it comes to AR, especially. Um, but, you know, that kind of experimentation doesn't necessarily lend to the implementation. Um, because oftentimes there needs to be a real understanding and use case for those for those technologies, especially in an environment 
or at least in a workspace in which we work, where these are you know heavily used, uh, oftentimes uh, daily used applications. Um, and so the last thing you want to do is push forward a technology that has a large or you know a, a highly advanced learning curve that could potentially be a, a barrier for many people to to use and to access. So that's the one thing we're always trying to balance. It's like, okay, we 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 see this trend, we see this new technology that is definitely emerging, but it's a little too premature to make it the go-to technology for the applications which we deal with, which are typically large-scale, um, urban or transit-oriented uh, uh, projects. Well, I mean, it's it's actually a good, you know, kind of segue into this. You know, with what's happening now, it seems like there's been a lot of experimentation, a lot of trends, a lot of technologies that I think have been born out of urgency, but necess- not necessarily staying around for a long period of time. It's, it's, it's like, what have you seen that is that has come out that you you look at and say, well, this is actually something that you can see having a very long lifespan? Or is it something that just um, has been accelerated because of the kind of climate that we're in? Well, so this is interesting. Um- you know, because, uh, you, you know, uh, I think for the longest time, um, you know, there's been this apprehension to welcoming technology. You know, one, maybe because it wasn't there wasn't a, a need or there was always an alternative. So I think, you know, the, the biggest trend, maybe the biggest trend that we're seeing right now the last several months is just simply the accelerated adoption of technology in our homes, in our lives, and more importantly, like the reliance on it. And that could be as basic as a video conferencing application or as experimental as something like VR. Basically, any tool that can help bridge the gap of in-person engagements. And what's interesting, Brian, is like, you know, this is kind of unprecedented because almost simultaneously, everyone at the exact same moment started using some sort of tool to help communicate. Um, And we've never seen that kind of adoption at such a scale. So it's almost an opportunity to recognize that people are far more forgiving and welcoming of tools that can simply kind of bridge that gap of how do you, you know, welcome or how do you craft those physical engagements in more of a digital lens? I think you bring up a good point about the forgiveness. Um, it, this has been one of the most unique periods because there's just a high level of forgiveness if something doesn't doesn't work. And I, I guess it's because people, I don't know if it's the fact that people have had time um, and, and patience. And so they're, they're okay with that kind of understanding. Now, I, I, I think that's, you know, that was probably fair to say back in March, March, April, May to a degree. And then I think as, as restrictions and, and, and things starting to lighten up and things were changing, I think the patience has gone away a bit and forgiveness maybe is a little bit behind us. So, you know, so then I, I guess it kind of turns to our, our, you know, are we in this new period to where forgiveness isn't necessarily something to fall back on that we have, there has to be a, a I don't say a sem- or a semi-baked idea or plan for an app. Uh, I would say absolutely not. Um, in, in many ways, I think the challenge is the environment um, as well as the, the situation is, is still changing. You know, we're now in a situation where, you know, you talk about, um, you know, people starting to go back into the environment or even to their daily jobs. But then at the same time, the reality is you still have people who aren't, you know, we're doing that staggered kind of approach where some people go in, some people do not. And this is not just with, with work, this is also with, with, with education. You know, you have some students going in, some students staying home, 
but they're still expected to engage the exact same way. So all of a sudden, the tool that was once designed just for one kind of engagement, one interaction, now has to be you know used in two different situations. And you're expecting almost too much from the single tool that was designed for one way to do two things. Um, and I think that's the challenge. So I think there's still actually, if anything, a greater forgiveness because the rules have changed. Um, and you know you have parties on on both sides trying to figure out how to make it work. So you have the provider, the software provider, trying to provide greater tools, greater functionality to meet this this changing environment. But then you also have the end user who is recognizing how to use this tool to make it work for them in in this kind of changing environment. So you know, I think you know the the challenge has been the tools that we're using were never designed from the get-go for this kind of environment, uh, for this kind of, uh, of, of, when I say environment, I mean this kind of lockdown and, and kind of remote engagement. Um, it was always in kind of an afterthought, like these things could potentially help, these things could potentially assist, but they weren't designed from the ground up to work in this environment. Do you, do you think, speaking of, of well, I guess, guess trends and, and, and technologies, um, you know, I think one of the things that came into more focus since this started was was data you know and this is this is the this is the topic um you know we i i you know to a degree you know using data for relevancy um is nothing new um you know it it, it definitely got accelerated and there's more use of it from you know things of contact tracing to occupancy counting to providing more relevant information to to personally to you and so you know I, I, you know with apple and google and, and and everyone sort of taking their own stance and how they use it um i mean where do you see that trending you know are are we on a, a very thin line to where maybe we've as a society have gotten comfortable knowing that there is that data that can be used for this, or are we on the opposite side of to, to where we still need to have that kind of control and not not allow that entire freedom from technology providers to use that data? It's a loaded question. <laughs> it's it's loaded. It's a it's a very much of a hot topic these days. <laughs> I guess maybe 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 even to simplify it a little bit. I mean, we we. You have applications that came out of this, and then maybe this goes to the point I was trying to say before. It's like you have things like occupancy counting and contact tracing, which is is all based upon data. You know, it's it's data within the area. It's data that you're providing um, without knowing that you're providing, and then is 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 being used. Um, I guess there's two sides to the argument. You can say in some cases some of the data could be used to make things more relevant and easier for you to access or to interact with. And the other side is there's data that's being, you know, taken that, you know, is being used for a different purpose. You know, this, this, where does this, you know, this new reality that we're in, you know, what, what comes out of it? I mean, what, 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 what do you see happening? Yeah. So I think, I think there's a, a couple couple points I kind of want to make uh, to your, to your question um, as, as well as to your observation. Um, you know, there's always uh, this idea of, of the provider, you know, who's using this data. And I think we're in a situation where um, we haven't had much luck in trusting those providers of 
securing our data um, and using that data for more altruistic kind of endeavors, uh, be it to contract tasting uh, to occupancy, to just making better experiences with more real-time data. And I think one of the greatest examples is Google Maps. Like when you use Google Maps, all that data from your movements to, to where you're going is being collected, parsed, and then dispersed to other users to understand traffic behaviors and flow behaviors as well as route behaviors. Um, and, 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 and I think that's something that we've kind of all kind of accepted um, because it's benefiting everyone collectively. Um, and oftentimes in that situation, it's kind of like an opt-out approach where like as soon as you turn on, you're kind of opting into the idea of your data is going to be used to enhance this, this uh, communication protocol. Um, the, the, the problem is, I think we're seeing is, you know, we're having providers intentionally or unintentionally either selling data or taking more data than we expected them to take and potentially abusing it in a way where there either is um, the selling of the information uh, to make more kind of coordinated uh, efforts to sell you something or to, you know, uh, provide you something, um, or it's been used to... Um, you know, make a product, you know, uh, more kind of molded to you. You know, you know, we, we look at Facebook, for example, is, is designed for that. As we come out of this period of, you know, a lot of R&D, a lot of experimenting, you know, what do you see, whether it's, it's mobile or if it's in the physical, as far as trends and technologies that you can see being further developed or, or even approaches that you, you can see having a, a, a real change in impact? As we start to to go back to you know level of normalcy, yeah, I think I think what's interesting is uh, we're starting to see a convergence of technologies, and I think a lot of that is driven by uh, trying to figure out ways to work or teach or learn from home, or, or basically to kind of mimic uh, how we typically interact in person in a physical engagement. You know, we don't just type on a keyboard when collaborating; it's more physical, it's more tactile. So, how do we kind of like? take that idea and bring it home. And I think, you know, for the most part right now, you know, when we're working from home, when we're working remotely, you know, we're relying on one kind of input to do a medley of, of, of tasks, you know, be it a tip, tap, or a click or whatever. Or if I'm using like a voice interface, for the most part, I'm limited to that one input to get the information I'm seeking, uh, even if it's not the most practical or the most sensible, right? So I think what we're trying to see now, I think especially driven from you know the last several months is a combination of inputs with its own set of uh, purposes to kind of flesh out that interface with a broader tool of inputs that are all working together to have a single interface uh, for for work for collaboration for engagements and you know this is not the the greatest example but you know we're starting to see that on a consumer level with 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 iPads or with with you know tablets for example where you know you do have that voice input you do have that touch screen. Now you do have that stylus and now you have that supporting keyboard and trackpad. What we're trying to see is like all of a sudden a, a range of inputs that have a particular set of functions that are all working together to make sure that you can have the most optimal kind of engagement through those mediums. But again, it's just one interface. Uh, so you're no longer kind of reduced or forced to just use a single input to do a lot of different things. You're, you're kind of optimizing each input for each engagement. So I wanted to, you know, I think one of the parts that's, that's overlooked um, you know, as as we start to to go back into physical environments, is you know user experience and the relationship that now exists or how it'll exist between you and applications that will be in store. 
um, you know, how do we, as designers, recalibrate our approach or and and set different expectations for people based upon their comfort level now? Yeah, I think I think there definitely has been a shift in that relationship uh, that the user will have in that kind of physical you know, built environment. Um, and the pandemic has definitely accelerated that shift. Um, before, you know, you probably wouldn't have a second thought about clicking or tapping away on a public device, you know, regardless of what you were having or asking the user to do. There was that willingness or that um, that excitement to kind of engage um, and to experience and understand, you know, what was going to be the result. Uh, but now there's maybe a bit of more of a, a thought of looking for an alternative uh, or even interacting in those uh, kind of physical uh on those physical devices, uh, with the bare at the bare minimum, um, and because I think of there's that 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 kind of greater hesitance, there's a greater reliance now on those personal devices to unlock and engage. Um, and I think you know one of the most obvious examples, um, again, me starting March was that shift from cash transaction to credit transactions. You know, it seemed like overnight, you know, everyone, every shop, every retailer had a square reader. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and then there was the choice. Do I take out my credit card, my wallet? Do I slide it? Do I insert it? Or do I use a st stylus? Or do I simply tap my card with my mobile device on the reader itself? Um, while this is not because of the pandemic, uh, or not directly related to the pandemic, you know, what we start seeing is this, this general shift in the first place of a greater reliance on your mobile devices to make these these purchases, uh, and this is especially true with with transit hubs. You know, we are seeing, especially here in New York, with the Long Island Railroad, the MTA, Subway, the Metro North, this idea of purchasing these tickets uh, on your mobile device, uh, or you know, making that transaction to board the subway through a contactless payment system. Um, and you know, this adjusted reliance on text, you know, really allows the minimization of these in person interactions. But the Kind of benefit, or maybe this kind of greater acceptance, I think, is because it has the side benefit of maximizing your own personal time by decreasing your wait time. And you know, I mean, I think this is something that we many people have the same kind of uh, experience. It's like you know, all of a sudden now there's like this greater acceptance to rely on these tools to uh, engage with with environments. And one specific example is like you know, you're walking home, um, you're you know, you want to order something to eat. So you'll place it on your phone, you know, through your smartphone application. You know, you'll be there in about 10 minutes. So you have it, you know, ready in 10 minutes. And then as you walk by the store, all of a sudden the bag is there ready for you to pick up and you can just keep on going about your way, you know, as you pick it up without having to wait. You're not waiting for a table. You're not waiting for an order. You're never really breaking your stride. Um, and that's like something I don't think a lot of people really thought about, you know, pre-pandemic, but it's something that they've just kind of adapted, uh, uh, adopted because it just... You know, you start recognizing the ease in which that transaction, that interaction can take place. And there's a real comfort and joy to those kind of seamless engagements. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, but I think, I think um, you know, what we're starting to see also is like, you know, the, the why, you know, you know, like why, why are those kind of uh, uh, fewer physical interactions existing in the first place? And I think it's trying to impress upon the user the precautions that have been taken to mitigate the risk of that engagement. It's a little bit of theater, right? You know, it's like, you know, you're still kind of going out, you're still kind of uh, entering the environment, you're still kind of taking on that risk to begin with, but you want them to engage, you want them to feel that, you know, you've done what you can do to ensure that same kind of or similar kind of engagement 
with the, the real reduction in risk. Um, so I think in this situation, it's less about the interface and more about the physical design of the space. Um, it's like more spacing, clear separation, fewer people, then of course, offering the alternative ways to interact like on your mobile device. I think uh, that decrease in kind of external physical interactions can provide that comfort or at least provide the idea of that comfort. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's perception. You know, I, I think for, for, you know, whatever environment it is, I think there's, there's a level of consciousness that they have to have and, and, and in doing what they can to, to make the user or the visitor feel safe and putting, you know, the tools or consciously thinking about the tools that they're going to use during the course of that transaction, whether they're on the way there, they're in the environment or, or what have you. Do you see now, how do you, how do you see that though? It's, I mean, it's an interesting topic because it changes. The, the, I think the answer changes in different environments. You know, I think if you if you look at museums, you know, I think there's there's this balance of how do you continue to have this type of deliver this type of authentic experience. You know, I mean, you 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 go there's there's the browsing, there's the there's just a certain 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 level of of storytelling, a certain level of of interaction that you come to expect, and you know, can you strip all that away and replace that? Or, you know, how do you, you know, how do you think of that balancing act? I mean, it, it changes. I mean, it's, it's, it's retail has, you know, it's theatrics as well. Um, but you can't get away from the notion you have still have to touch a, a product, you know, in some, in some sense. So, um, it's interesting. I think it's, it's interesting challenge on designers on how they approach each environment. But, um, you know, I think you, you just have to have that, that certain level of consciousness to really think through behaviors and experiences and, and how is that defined. So shifting, you know, shifting, I mean, speaking of environments, I mean, the one I'm, I'm curious to, to hear your perspective on, um, you know, we both do work in airports and there has been um, a lot of headlines that have, have been out there in terms of new technologies, processes, the way people are are navigating through through airports and you know you you have newer terminals that are are easier to alter the experiences and in some cases are using a lot of the newer um scanning devices biometrics um facial recognition to to, to make it easy for travel but then you have a lot of older airports that are still playing catch-up like what do you see as as the the new optimal travel experience. You know, when, when when we do go back into the terminal, what is the reality of what we're we're facing? Is there a change or is there not a change? Um, so yeah, it's interesting uh, because you're absolutely right with with you know um, this greater adoption of technology in these these environments. Um, but you know, what's funny is like nothing that's being talked about or being implemented is new. It's been on the radar for a while, right? It's just that you know the pandemic has hyper accelerated that implementation. Um, and it was interesting, you know, you, you mentioned like, you know, we've been working on a few airports uh, for a while, for the last several years. And, you know, pre-COVID, all the conversations uh, were really about how do you optimize the customer experience, you know, to reduce stress and increase the pleasure of travel. Because, you know, for the majority of travelers, it's not a common practice to go to the airport. <laughs> yeah, it's stressful. wildly stressful, wildly <laughs> it's, stressful. It's very yeah, stressful. It's frustrating, it's yeah. stressful, um, it's confusing, it's intimidating. Um, and, you know, it can really kind of, uh, you know, you know, get, you know, headlights in the deer, you know, like it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's intense. And so, you know, for a lot of airports, uh, the metrics surrounding that, you know, about the passenger experience, about, you know, the ease of getting through the airport, 
the confidence to kind of you know travel and navigate the cleanliness the 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 flows these are all things that all airports aspire to kind of uh, excel at because it just means that the airport is a little bit more ideal to attract retailers to increase rent and so on and so forth right um, because you know but really the 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 goal being is that you know if a traveler feels confident and safe uh, in the environment and finds it easy to get through there's probably a greater likelihood that they'll you know, buy a newspaper or buy that sandwich and, you know, you know, provide that little economic driver that the airport uh, is kind of craving. Um, so really, you know, while the original goal of a lot of these tools we're talking about, like, you know, biometrics, we're talking about uh, a lot of, uh, you know, mobile applications was to improve the efficiency of processing, um, you know, benefiting both the traveler and, of course, the airport, it's really now just to avoid those physical interactions or to minimize those physical interactions. Um, and, what that is doing, though, is again, it allows for that. And I've talked about this about earlier, about the ability to never kind of break your stride, right? And that's kind of like the future of the airport, where you can, you know, you know, get off the curb and just walk right through to your gate. And you have all these technologies that are now supporting that kind of ability to do so, uh, which kind of create that 21st century airport experience, is where you never feel like you're ever stopping. Um, and that's one of the biggest things, or the best kind of outcomes of, of this is that this kind of pandemic has accelerated that adoption of those tools to allow for that kind of more seamless engagement. Um, and this really benefits all airports. New airports are old airports. And you know, the problem with old airports is, yeah, you're, you have these kind of more constrained physical environments that doesn't allow for kind of um, uh, like clustering, if you will. You can't really have individuals, you know, pre-security, I mean, post-security, that more important. You really have to get them, get them through. Um, and this technology is allowing them to allow for that more optimal uh, uh, kind of experience. Now, now here, now we haven't, you know, we haven't talked too much about, about data, you know, through this. And, you know, I think, you know, with, with airports, I don't, I don't think we, we can have this conversation without, talking a little bit about the use of data to make that a more efficient traveler experience. You know, I mentioned it with, with biometrics, there's, there's capturing of data. You talked about clustering, um, you know, managing wait times, um, understanding the flow, um, where people are going. I mean, there's, there's planning right down to understanding what flights are coming through in order how to be efficient and how that is handled. Um, you know, do you think data takes on a greater role in defining or helping to streamline the traveler experience? Just just sticking to, to airports and not, not to venturing outside of it. But do you see data having a greater impact on the way these technologies are, are utilized? Oh, yeah, there's, there's no question um, that a lot of decisions that are being made are based on this capture data. And it's not just about like wait times or, or clustering. Or, or, or density really is more about you know where the where the users are looking or what's what's attracting their eye you know you have a lot of these eye tracking softwares now that kind of understand like what what's impacting um, or what's catching uh, catching them off guard or capturing their attention right um, but it's also more about the flows like you know where are the bottlenecks you know why do those bottlenecks exist uh, capturing those kind of heat map kind of applications that allow you to see where there are that kind of clustering or those bottlenecks that exist. Um, or more about processing times, like why does something take X amount of time to process, be your bag, be your security, um, 
um, or even the queue to board your plane. You know, all that data is being used to figure out where those deficiencies are to make them more efficient. And then what are the technologies that will allow for that efficiency to take place? And again, like the biometric has been kind of like a really godsend with a lot of those kind of inefficiencies because all of a sudden you're no longer using that kind of physical hand checking to passport verification, scanning, whatever. It's just your eye, you know, or it's your, or it's your handprint, right? I think you bring up a good point because, you know, I think the other side to it is, is that it eliminates touch points. Exactly. You know, I, I you know, for as, as, as efficient as, you know, I think you and I are in having, you know, pre-check and, and having global entry, you know, there's still an element where you have to stop and you have to, you know, to speak with someone, whether it's a screening or, or so forth. So I think, you know, to have that opportunity to remove that friction point, uh, it just adds the efficiency of, of the traveler experience. Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, like post 9-11, I don't think regardless of what status you have, you're still kind of going through the same process. One may be a little bit faster because there are fewer people, but everyone has the same kind of stoppage points along the journey, be it something even more complicated. You know, if you're traveling international, you have some baggage you got to drop off, um, but you're still kind of, you know, getting your boarding pass. You're still, you know, getting screened uh, and you're still waiting for your, you know, your seat on the plane, right? Um, yeah, and, and these technologies are just kind of minimizing which ones you need to kind of engage with. You know, you're still, and again, more important, like who's taking on the responsibility? You know, what we're trying to see now is like the self, you know, baggage drops, right? Where you just do it upon yourself. You just, if you have a bag, you can drop it off, grab your ticket and move on. Um, so we're already seeing these efficiencies because all of a sudden there's a kind of, uh, uh, well, it's, it's funny, like, you know, what it, it shifts the ability, you know, and also shift the aggravation because it's more about control too. So greater reliance on the individual to be responsible for, you know, dropping off their bag or grabbing their ticket or, you know, walking through these screeners or scanners. Um, you can't necessarily get frustrated with yourself because, you know, you've done it yourself as opposed to having someone else do it, be it grab your bag, check it, scan it, or waiting in line for the TSA guy to review your passport and getting a little frustrated with how long it's taking or whatever it is. Um, this, this reliance on the individual kind of allows for this greater confidence that I'm responsible to do X, to make sure that my, my, my journey, my experience is as things as possible. And, you know, it, it kind of alleviates the burden also on the airport by putting it on the, on the individual or the passenger. No, it, it, it does. But then I guess that, you know, the question is, is, you know, adoption. You know, I think you, you know, you have two kinds of travelers. I mean, you have, you know, ones that are doing it free. I mean, ones that are frequent and ones that are not. And the ones that do it frequently will have adopted to, you know, more dependence on the mobile, um, you know, app to get through and not have to have those points. But then you have those that are not and they, you know, are they quick to adopt to, you know, the use of a mobile device um, and self-bag, self, um, you know, uh, self-check versus, you know, just going to the airport without any knowledge of this existence and then still having to be reliant on, you know, an attendant and, and having to be on to, on the, you know, to check in an actual terminal. So, I mean, I, I think there's... I mean, you can't uh, you can't please or appease to everyone, appeal to everyone. I mean, there's there's still these moments of where you have to interact with something, and that's because we're we're kind of in that transition period, though, too, right? Um, I think it's you know T five here in JFK, it's JetBlue terminal for the most part, 
I don't think they have it, or they do, but for the majority, like they make it very attractive uh, to do your own baggage check, your self baggage check, because like the first thing you see, there's a wide array of these of these uh, drop off points. Um, so they almost encourage you to do it by making it very welcoming and kind of you know a pleasing uh, experience with lighting and and openness. To like to find an attendant to do that, you have to like walk like clear across the terminal <laughs> in the, like the back corner. And like while it does exist, they make it as unattractive as possible because they really want to encourage this adoption. Um, so yeah, it's it, we're very much in a transition period. And I mean, I don't want to deviate too much from the airport, but you're seeing this with other kind of like self-service experience too, where you know you could be in a retail environment and they really make it attractive for you to, to scan the item yourself and pay for it yourself without interacting with a, a retail uh, cashier um, because. It, while it does exist, it's again in the far corner. It's a little bit difficult to navigate to. <laughs> they try to make it as kind of challenging to force this kind of acceptance that this is what's going to happen because it benefits everyone at the end um, to make this this far more efficient in terms of the transaction. So, so here's a you know a completely on the other side of like a, somewhat of a, of a deviation from that. You know, now you're in a unique position. I mean, you're so you're ten years now with W and Co. and I mean, you straddle the line between working on on you know wayfinding projects and, and signage and and mobile and, and web and you know there's an element of the consciousness of design that goes into everything that you're you're doing as well as understanding a user's experience. So what I I kind of wonder and have even asked other practitioners is that are design agencies ready for this shift now to where you know, technology will play a greater role in, in, in experience. And, you know, efficient design might not, efficient design in a sense of planning and a way an environment is structured may not always be enough. You know, there, there, there needs to be that, I think there needs to be that balance of, of, of what role does technology have? What role does, does efficient design have? And are some agencies that have more of a traditional background more egd background are they prepared for the shift yeah i mean yeah quite frankly i think we're in the same boat like i think a lot of agencies and even clients for that matter were caught off guard by the speed of the shift um and i think a lot of this unpreneurs or even confusion about how to develop solutions in this changing environment was because of a lack of clear knowledge uh, of the problem to begin with it was a bit ambiguous with a lot of misinformation and a lack of of information or even new information being provided on a daily basis. So it was a very changing kind of situation. So I think, you know, you know, several months back, uh, instead of people just waiting, there was a rush to just try a lot of different things at first. Um, make a, a lot of which were just a lot of lo-fi solutions like floor graphics or distance marker, just something, something to cue the user that the environment has changed a little bit and to be, to be like, Hey, watch out. This is something. Um, and I think part of that rush was driven by the need, of course, but also because I don't think anyone ever thought it would be as severe or as far-reaching or as long-lasting as it's been, right? So um, I think what's become clear is that you know we're not returning to the status quo anytime soon. Although I do fundamentally believe we're going to get past this. You know, there will be a vaccine, and we will go back to how things were for the most part, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Um, but regardless, I think, you know, the fact that we're kind of in this extended period of engagements or this kind of situation, uh, smart science solutions have to be developed. Um, unfortunately, I think we're kind of constrained by a lot of pre-existing environmental conditions. 
Um, so again, I, I mean, Brian, I can't speak to you where, you know, where you live, but, you know, here in New York, I think what we saw as a way to kind of adapt to the situation is almost an impressive redesign of the physical environment to really think about the public space. Like, you know, especially here in New York, like, you know, all of a sudden parking on streets were repurposed to become outdoor dining, you know, uh, some streets were shut down to be more like thoroughway traffic for, for pedestrians uh, as opposed to for, for streets or for cars, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, while not directly related to COVID, you know, we saw additional bike lanes being installed. Basically, a rethinking of how public spaces could be designed to really maximize kind of physical in-person engagements uh, for the individual. Um, but again, like what we're seeing is like, again, a new set of rules being developed on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's no clear answer yet, right? So I think a lot of it is just trial and error to see what really sticks and what resonates. And we're seeing that in all walks of life, be it from, you know, the software that we're using on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, the communication tools that we're using on a day-to-day -day basis, they're being kind of played with a little bit to see what can really resonate to really work for the end user. No, I, th I think that's actually very eloquently put. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I agree with that. And it's just, it's just a very interesting time, I think, to be, to be working with clients and to to be really observing, uh, I, I think half the time of what I'm doing. I mean, it's 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 really it's it's a lot of reading, it's a lot of observation. Um, you know, it's a lot of head scratching because as soon as you you think you've seen a pattern, um, you know that that pattern has changed, and I I, I find it fascinating because it also, you know, I mean it it it. it changes the way that you perceive design you know things rules and and um i mean there's, there's a great book i've been reading the laws of ux um you know d diving into e different discipline different different aspects of ui design and and how you you get people to behave in some manner and you know it's interesting because it challenges you to rethink the way that you're designing an interface or designing an application and environment based upon these rapidly changing conditions um i guess in some sense i mean i i i i do like it it's fun i don't i don't, I don't you know I'm, I, I don't know how you i mean i, I sort of i know how you feel but I, I think it's fun i mean i think it's it's energetic i think for once it's nice to actually have a very unique challenge that everyone is going through that's that's the part maybe that i, I love is is that everyone is going through it and for once you 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 just have the freedom to create something based upon what you think is right without, you know, having something out there that you could, you could reference as a case study. I don't know. There's something exhilarating yeah, about yeah. being able to, to create the unknown. What I've been finding too, like an interesting trend is like this greater emphasis on simplicity. Um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you really have to capture the, the audience's eye and ear. Um, and so there's a greater emphasis on communication and the simplicity of that communication, uh, Message as well as device, and this way, and all of a sudden, I think a lot of people are embracing this idea of cleaner design, minimalism, to really put forth, um, you know, a, a clear understanding of what the intent is, and that's something I'm really kind of grateful for because all of a sudden, there's yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, good design is kind of really being welcomed, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. That's that's a that's a very valid point. Well. Thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to chat. It's actually always a pleasure to uh, to chat with you. Um, if you can let everyone know how they can get a hold of you, where they can find you online. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my personal, again, I'm on typical social, like Instagram and Twitter. I can be at, at BJ Matthews, uh, just my first name and last name. And then for my company, it's WMCO. We're at winfieldco.com. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter at winfieldco. Well, BJ, thank you again. Um, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Experience by Design podcast. As always, you can find me online, well, Instagram and, and Twitter at OpenEyeGlobal. And again, join me as we continue to explore different perspectives on experience design. Talk to you soon. Thank you.